This is Tommy's Outdoors 141. Today our guest is Dr. William Roach, who is a senior research officer with Inland Fisheries Ireland. And originally this episode meant to be dedicated to various uh, fish tagging programs run by Inland Fisheries Ireland, namely Marine Sport Fish Tagging Program, which is uh, aimed at elasmo branch species like sharks and rays, bass tagging program, but we especially focused on uh, tuna chart program. Tuna chart is an uh, angler-based program for tagging Atlantic bluefin tuna. Atlantic bluefin tuna, as you might know, is an iconic game fish, and unfortunately, it also has a huge uh, economic value. Uh, I wrote a piece for my newsletter about the demise of Atlantic bluefin tuna and apparent recovery. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about that, you can or you should actually subscribe to my newsletter, uh, newsletter.tommysoutdoors.com, or just go to the description of the show and you will find the link there. Um, but in this episode, we're focused on much more than just the conservation status of a tuna. We talk about the program itself, as well as we talk about fishing for those majestic, massive fish. Uh, we talk about tackle required for that. We talk about how charter skippers can get involved in this program, um, as well as we basically walk through the typical day of uh, bluefin tuna fishing. If you're interested in uh, this sort of endeavor, and if you're big in game, and if you're big game angler, I'm sure you are. So that's an episode that you will have an opportunity to enjoy in a second. Uh, and I'm just going to remind you again uh, to subscribe to my newsletter, um, newsletter.tommysoutdoors.com. You will be notified about all the new episodes of the podcast, as well as uh, enjoy some additional content, like in this case, this uh, article about bluefin tuna. All right, so that's it for this introduction. Uh, and folks, now without any further delay, Dr. William Roach and Tuna Chart Program. William, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tommy. Great to have you. Um, I want to talk to you for quite a while. This this podcast is coming for for quite a while. We met at the um, closure event at Marpam Project, and we had a brief conversation. So I'm just I'm just gonna jump right into this and ask a question: What is the importance of anglers for conservation? for research. Are they important at all? And, and that's obviously tongue-in-cheek because people know my opinion about it, but I want to hear like straight from you. I think anglers are extremely important. Anglers spend a lot of time in nature uh, observing uh, as they catch their fish. They're enjoying their experience, but they're, they're seeing things that maybe others might not see. They're spending hours on the water, be it in fresh water or in the marine environment. And they have a function then uh, in terms of maybe relating stories to uh, individuals they meet or to officers in different agencies, and also in recording their fish. 
And I'd like to see scientists or, or other uh, anglers in a citizen science role, if you like, in that they are very uh, observant. They care about their fish and about the continuity of their fishing into the future and possibly for their, their children and grandchildren. And um, in that sense, we've several projects ongoing that, that um, help us to collect information through anglers for the uh, sustainability of stocks, which is, is so important. We can't keep taking fish without being aware of our responsibilities as anglers. You folks, I mean, uh, Inland Fishery Ireland, uh, you had this survey uh, with anglers where they were comparing uh, how the fishing used to be and how it is now. Uh, did they, are the results already in of that survey? Yes, that's been published. Um, that was a, a study uh, conducted to look at um, anglers' um, local uh, environmental knowledge, LEK as it's so called, and to try and capture that and convert it into um, meaningful, uh, compare it with, with, with the commercial statistics and and see how it how it tracked or otherwise um our kind of observations based on the commercial data uh in regards to certain stocks so we were able to collect that over um uh, a, a very large study actually it was uh, i think 1200 people responded mm. and um that allowed us then to analyze in detail um my colleague Sam Shepard was the lead on this. He also works with IFI, um, and uh, it was his, his his concept. And we rolled it out to uh, sea anglers, and we were very very uh, pleased with the results in that they certainly uh, anglers' perceptions. We were able to catalog them in a particular type of format, and we were able to track um, the stock declines in, in some instances are, are, are stability in others and it was extremely revealing and we felt it was a, a great way to mobilize information in a, a scientific format hmm. well, that's that's and what were the, what were the overall what were the results that the decline i presume overall? Uh, for some species um it's it's um you know it, it tracked uh whiting and, and cod and pollock i think were the three species i can't remember off the top of my head but um it's it's uh, it's it was in what was most interesting for us was the fact that the this type of knowledge was able to track the the changes in the populations over time which is so important and maybe proof of uh the the value of uh, anglers' recall and input to uh, these type of scenarios. I remember filling out that survey. I liked it a lot because it was, uh, it had a lot of mechanism. It, it was really well constructed survey, and and I'm not saying that only because you're here on the podcast, but it's it's really hard. I found it's hard to find come across the good survey, well constructed survey, but that one was really good. And it also, I think I remember had this mechanism built built in for for the error and like you know, so we could validate whether the answers are really what people observe or whether they they matching some other answers which were slightly different so that was uh that was uh i i think really really good and you say that these results track according to the other observations they're, well, they're the, matching the, the the limitation on any study like this is to have uh time series information 
in other words, uh, commercial data. So while we'd like to talk maybe about species that have, uh, you know, of maybe of greater angling interest, uh, it's probably only in this instance, in terms of proof of concept, useful. Uh, well, it, it's not only useful, it was necessary to include species that are caught commercially because there are data for those. Um, and we could, we could compare the angler data, which we try to construct to make it as uh, simple as possible and to, you know, in terms of, of um, angler concepts and, and what would be uh, indicators, if you like, for anglers uh, and also would work as indicators for ourselves. So it was important to, to, to include those. But again, the, the data had to be comparable with a, an existing time series data set, which was the commercial data. Right, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, and and we're gonna move now to the tagging programs, which is which are which are also um, angler driven, um, particularly two, one with a bluefin tuna, and then on uh, on sharks. But then before we go into the more details on that, these are also good examples of how anglers contribute to science and contribute to conservation these tagging programs right because otherwise are there anyone else who's catching fish and tagging them other than anglers um yeah well, there would be in the case of tuna yes uh, a a an equivalent program has been uh, started in the uk and england rather um it's also called tuna chart i think they've adopted our name um for the program for their program and that started last year and we were in contact with with the, the guys in the uk or in england and gave them some assistance in that regard so certainly with tuna yes and then the tuna chart program as it's known has been in existence for four years but it's part of a wider program which is managed by uh, icat which is the International Conservation of Atlantic Tuna. And um, they have a long-running program, which we're now part of with a number of uh, other other departments and agencies in Ireland. And we're rolling that out under license, if you will, from, from uh, ICAT. So it's, been, it's, it's part of a wider cooperative program, which has been... Uh, in existence for 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 many years. Is this bass tagging program also some? Uh, there was also IFI um, part of that. That was also your. Yes, program. that's that's ours. Um, again, these are using uh, both in the in the case of tuna and bass and uh, elasmobranchs, the sharks, rays, and skates. We're using conventional tags, which can be you know that they're basically pieces of plastic, numbered plastic that would be attached to the fish and these are all uh, what are called mark recapture programs so that the fish are are tagged uh, in a very benign way by trained um, anglers we give them some training in in terms of methodologies and uh, the information we have then is where the fish was was released and if it's recaptured then we know we don't know where it's been in the intervening period. There's no no uh, getting away from that. You need specialized technology, telemetry technology, like satellite or acoustic tags in that instance. But in this instance, it's a very uh, simple program which can be rolled out and is rolled out uh, by anglers. And in the case of tuna, charter skippers, 
in which the fish are tagged and the recapture then is the is the really important bit of information because maybe through kind of understanding the seasonal patterns we could say well fish are, are being picked up in different locations or they have a different home range or they've grown a certain amount so we're all the time learning from a recapture in addition to the uh, first piece of information is is the size of the fish and where it was caught first time around yeah yeah i remember my buddy got the email that the bass that he tagged got recaptured and he was so happy he was just like he was elated for like two days it's like oh you know they, they caught that bass again and it was it was great um i i i also know the guy who caught the shark tagged with this with this tag and you know listeners to this podcast probably know that i was absolutely mad on the shark fishing and and so there's a quite a few uh sharks with, with that i caught with those tags out there as well uh always look out for the for the numbers if somebody recaptured them indeed let's talk about uh bluefin tuna uh because really this is the main main thrust what we are tending to talk about here and i would like to hear from you a little bit in the beginning on the current status of tuna because this is a fish that i probably 10 years it was 2010 when I was very interested in, and at the time the picture looked like the the global quota was set, recommended was between fifteen and ten thousand tons, and then ICAT set that quota on thirty six thousand tons, which is like three times the the recommendation, and then the survey said that there was like sixty thousand tons caught, it's caught, so it's twice over the quota. And then scientists recommended like 7.5 tons. Uh, in the meantime, I learned the term of uh, term economy of extinction, where I think it was Japanese company Mitsubishi like tripled their freezing capacity, knowing that tuna may go extinct because then they will be sitting on a ton of a uh, tuna meat. But then you go to the UACN uh, UACN red list and um, three populations of tuna, uh, Atlantic Southern. And Pacific are at uh, mark as endangered and near threatened. And I don't want to normalize that something is endangered, but overall, you know, it's like not going to extinct. It's still bad, but it's not like, oh, we're almost losing them. We also, I think we talk about the skipper in, in Donegal in Ireland who used to fish for uh, tuna, for bluefin tuna, and he got like a fighting chair and everything else. And then it was also like around 2012, I think, he just basically remove that there's no tunas left everything is is going uh down and so on but now they're coming back so i just want to hear from you like what is the actual status is it is it that bad and they're still being exploited and they're going to extinction or are these information exaggerated and whatever uacn is saying is is well it's it's also um Two of those populations are still decreasing. Only southern uh, bluefin tuna is increasing. So how does, from the perspective, maybe Ireland and where you sit, how does the status of tuna look like and their conservation status? Well, I think you've tracked it yourself there. Uh, in the late 2000s, um, mid to late 2000s, I think we were seeing a, a severe decline. And perhaps that's when the IUCN classification work was being done and there was i think a lot of concern about the populations but i i think we're seeing signals now uh, certainly in the last number of years if ireland is anything to go by um and also obviously 
uh, England as well now, and, and certainly the Danes and the Norwegians are also tagging fish off the Danish coast. So the fish are there, they're present, they're visible. So we're seeing fish um, certainly more often in Ireland, and I think one could attribute the improvement uh, in status to uh, the, the, the management regime adopted by or managed by um, ICAT which allowed Ireland to operate rather a, a catch and release fishery in order to undertake the scientific work that needs to be done. So as I've said, we have uh, now uh, angling uh, off the English coast, off the Irish coast, and then off the Danish coast. Those fisheries, catch and release, all of them, did not exist um, you know, prior to quite recently. So I think it's an indicator of a recovery, a need for more data, uh, on the tuna and that's where the, the tagging program comes in and also we're collecting data on size so i'd say the overall uh, uh, situation is pretty positive and a good marker for monitoring is the catch and release program and uh, you know anglers are as i said in the opening remarks anglers are seeing these fish on the water and they're a, a fantastic sight to behold you know, anglers notice these things, they report them, and I presume it, it becomes part of the the lore and the, the um, stories that are told about angling. And that, obviously that filters back, and the, then the scientists will have actual data to support that or counter that, as the case may be. And uh, I think it's a positive situation. The um, success of the program is certainly certainly clear to see. We're seeing it in our own figures. It changes year on year. Some years it's more successful than others. But overall, um, I think we're seeing a sustainable catch and release fishery, which is providing information which can be used by ICAT to to monitor that fishery. And I think ICAT would be quite, you know, uh, conservative, if you like, in terms of management in order not to not to ensure over exploitation. And I think it's it's um, ideal for anglers to be involved here in a in a very uh, constructive way to providing good quality data through the you know the various authorities we're working uh, inland fisheries Ireland uh, with with Marine Institute and uh, the two departments Department of of uh, Fisheries and Marine and and our own Department of Climate Change and Environment to provide this information along with the Sea Fisheries Protection Agency. So we're all working together to monitor and manage the the, um, the fishery. Yeah, and I think it's also uh, important to note that what we're talking about here is uh, Atlantic not, uh, bluefin tuna, and this is not the, the one that is exploited of the coast of Japan, right? This is Pacific. Well, this is Northeast Atlantic stock, yeah. Yeah. So, so from the UK, from the US on the west coast of the US, right, yeah. right. So, so because a lot of a lot of these informations are coming in, like you know how uh, fish markets in Japan and all that. Uh, so we, we 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 need to be careful to not not mix those two. Okay, so uh, ICAT is actually not the bad guys at all. They are they're actually doing good job here. Well, they're tasked with with that function. They're collecting data from various tagging programs. As I said, they've got. Um, uh, in Europe that I'm aware of, uh, Danish, um, I'm not sure if the Norwegians are involved, but Danish, uh, England and ourselves, um, and there may well be others. So all those data actually are presented, uh, are sorry, prepared and presented very, very quickly to um, ICAT. So they have um, the best available information 
to to make decisions um, in a timely manner on on these stocks because obviously it's a very valuable species and uh, don't economically right yeah yeah absolutely but but also for sport fishing i mean it's uh, probably la creme de la creme for many anglers to catch a tuna is is a fantastic achievement and uh, very enjoyable and it just behoves anglers and uh, everybody involved to ensure uh, that the fish is um handled properly and returned and fish welfare would be key in in certainly the tuna chart program for us that it's uh to ensure that the fish is is um well managed if you will short fighting time and returned properly and and um that's that's key to this program and to the success of this program over the last uh now four years the program only finished for uh, this year on November the twelfth. Okay, so it it goes it goes like annually for the yeah. season for the fishing. Okay, so these these fish are not exploited commercially right now. Well, they, they would they might be off the the um, uh, in international waters off the Irish coast. Yes. Okay. So um, again, uh, the interesting thing I suppose having fish tagged is uh, you'd hope that some fish would be picked up, but. To date, none of the tuna tagged in Ireland have been picked up. Is the explo- commercial exploitation of these fish it's f- prohibited in in Europe or is it prohibited in Ireland? Um, so who who will catch them as in the, as a commercial uh, fishing fleet in the international waters? Will they be Japanese? And well, there, the is, there there would be some exploitation in European waters as well. But I'm just saying, off the Irish coast, it's it would be it would be outside of Irish Irish waters or outside of EU waters um, for international exploitation. There are quotas, as you mentioned earlier, for uh, European member states. Uh, they would be long established. Um, in countries like, I mean, there there is exploitation in the in the Mediterranean, for instance. Uh, Croatia would have would have um, a, a quota, and um, probably I'm not sure about the other countries. I'd be speaking out of turn, but there is there are quotas for various member states. They're uh, long established, and there's historical track records there, which would establish the the um, the, the fisheries for uh, those countries. And uh, Ireland enjoys a, a quota, but it's it's for um, bycatch only, and it's a, it's a it's a it's part of the albacore quota. So a small percentage of that is allowed for bycatch, but that's all. That's all. There's no commercial fishery for tuna in Irish waters. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So we have only anglers who are allowed to catch as a part of this uh, tuna chart program and for people wondering chart it stands for catch and release it's a ch from catch and then end release and tagging cut chart very very nice play on words um listen so just to um you know outline for people who might not know this is like a massive fish we're talking about here the biggest one was uh 1.5 thousand pounds it's 600 700 kilos yeah, right. That was taken. Yeah, the re- the Irish record taken on rod and line at a time when when um, landing was 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 uh, permitted, maybe uh, kind of on a, on a small scale. But do recall that that um, while we had maybe back in the early days in the in the nineteen uh, sixties, I think a 
a hope that uh, bluefin tuna would become part of our marine recreational fishery fauna, so to speak. Um, it, it took many, many years to realize it. <clears throat> it was in approximately in, uh, I think around about the year 2000, that uh, tuna uh, bluefin would have come to the fore in the Donegal area. And uh, some of the pioneers decided to uh, attempt to catch one. Maybe, I don't know whether they had had seen the fish on the water, but uh, they were successful. There was a small number caught and there was uh, fish caught then in the 2000s. And then the population, as we said earlier, um, seemed to go to the wall. And uh, But we've had the recovery since in the last, let's say, five, seven years. Again, good management comes to play here. The Mediterranean stock is considered part of the northeast atlantic stock as well which we would be exploiting so they're they're all the one and um yeah so you know we've had had this uh uh presence and, and a sustained presence of tuna in irish waters now for for a number of years in the last maybe in the last five and that, that again provides the opportunity to uh, for anglers to enjoy uh, being part of, well, enjoy catching one and then in turn being part of uh, what, what I may be keen to emphasize is a citizen science type program without, without the skippers, of which there's uh, up to 25 might be authorized to fish for these fish. Uh, without them and without their anglers, um, we would have no data because obviously it would be impossible for, for me and for, for, uh, staff and IFI and the other agencies I mentioned earlier to go out and try and sample for these fish and, and uh, to tag them just to be a huge operation. So it's a, I suppose it's a, a mutually beneficial operation to provide um, a, a, an angling challenge, to collect information and to, to provide information on stocks to uh, the managers at, at ICAT. Yeah, wow. That's a, you know, like I remember uh, the first report about bluefin tuna showing up at the Irish waters, I couldn't believe it. It's like, wow, did you see that? And they're just, you know, messaging my buddies. And I was like, look at that. They're, are they coming back? We, did, I, we didn't know whether they're coming back at the time or it's like a once-off. And then they start showing up more often, more often. And then I heard about this program. Um, William, tell me, how the, how charter skippers can... Can they enroll to this program, or is it like a you already have a pool of charter skippers who met certain uh, criteria to be part of it? Like, how does that work? Um, every year we advertise um, that the tuna chart scheme program will operate again in that year, and we invite uh, charter skippers to apply for an authorization, and then they are. So every it's a, it's it's a clean a clean slate every year. We start from scratch, and um, then there's a review and um, skippers that have the knowledge and and uh, that that will kind of get the get the correct equipment. They're they're obliged to provide uh, particular equipment uh, in terms of rods and reels. Um, they have to be of a certain standard to ensure that the fish is and fish welfare is is uh, uppermost in our mind. But to ensure the fish is is brought alongside as quickly as possible, 
and in, in, in excellent condition to allow for measuring and tagging in the water. And that's key again in order to ensure the fish is, is um, top quality and released quickly with a minima, minimal amount of handling. So the skippers are obviously um, strategically located as well. It's um, tuna, bluefin tuna present on the west coast, maybe from Malin Head right down uh, to the southwest and then west, sorry, east as far as um, maybe Kilmore Key. I'm, I'm told that fish tuna have been observed in the Irish Sea, but again, I suppose the skippers will have to... Um, to, to anybody on the East Coast would have to apply, um, maybe feel that it would be worth their while on the basis of what they might have observed at sea to try for, for um, bluefin tuna under this uh, scheme, which is the only way to catch, for anglers to catch fish in, in uh, Irish waters, these particularly magnificent uh, fish. Do they have to commit to a certain number of uh, tuna fishing trips in a, in a, in a time of, uh, in, in a year, in a, in a season? No, we were realistic here. Um, going to sea is expensive. Um, and we, we, uh, have no, um, we don't set a particular, um, threshold value for, for numbers of trips. We want to collect data. Obviously skippers have to, um, be able to survive in, in a business like this, which is, you know, it's challenging at times. It's with the, with the price of fuel and insurance and all the other factors that, that kind of contribute to the significant cost of running a, a charter vessel. Uh, so obviously we'd like to encourage them to go out, but there's no point in going, if not seeing fish and they don't have clients who are willing to um, pay to attempt to catch tuna well there's little point in going out although having said that some of the guys are extremely interested and will um fund their own uh survey if you like to try for tuna so they're they're very well invested here um it's 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 um it's a great opportunity i think they see the uh the magnificence of these this particular uh, species and uh you know there's a, there's a great interest in collecting information for the program, which they do through, um, they use uh, technology to do that. So again, we're very current in terms of, of uh, you know, day-to-day -day understanding of what's being caught, what the patterns are. Yeah, I was just, you know, thinking about this situation, like, you know, obviously this is quite a different trip for, for bluefin tuna, less anglers. And, you know, I was just thinking about situations that you can, some someone will, I'm not saying that anyone does that, but someone can apply for, get to the program and then a whole day going for you know like with 12 folks catching mackerel or 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 you know in that way that spot is kind of like a taken up by someone who might actually go do something hence my question whether they have to commit to certain number of trips or anything like that. no well i mean i think we're realistic about it it it, it is um it's a, it's a matter of tailoring you know your your business uh against the 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 data side um it's it's um they obviously run their businesses um you know they do the ground fishing or shark fishing or whatever uh the client wants to do um they have to run that business as well alongside this particular business and i would say also that um bluefin tuna angling is probably one of the more expensive types of trips you might do given that one is 
probably uh, traveling, you know, by dint of having to troll uh, for, you know, periods of time, which is, you know, it's eating up your diesel. So there's lots of commercial considerations here as well. So, you know, we're, we're pretty much aware of that. Yeah, yeah. What are we talking about? Talking about uh, 1.5 thousand euro per trip, something like that. It's. I think it's about. I. I don't know. It was probably probably um, a thousand or or maybe a little bit more per trip for probably four anglers. So it's you know it's it, it's quite a commitment for the anglers as well. So if you're investing that sort of money in a in a trip, you probably would like to think that you're going to be successful. And based on on uh, you know data, you know the information we've collected to date. On average, you know, the last few years it's varied. Um, that this year, for instance, there's approximately uh, 1.5 bluefin tuna tagged per trip uh, this year, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, last year it wasn't so high, and then in 2020 it was about 2.2 uh, tuna per trip. So that's per boat day such. Now, that's not per angler now. That's per boat. So if there was four guys, you know, two of them would probably hook up in that time in 2020. But it's it's ranging between, let's say, 0.7 and 2.2 tuna uh, tagged per, per boat trip per day. And that's irrespective of where you are. Now, some areas are better than others. But, you know, on an, a national average, uh, that's pretty uh, pretty productive, you'd have to say, and, and very encouraging. And the other point here uh, is that in Irish waters, I think the same is true for the Danes, the uh, fish are presenting uh, quite close to shore, relatively speaking. So Donegal Bay, you probably would be aware of, but also off the south coast, oftentimes distance isn't, isn't, isn't a huge factor. So whatever it is about the uh, marine environment here, it seems to suit the aggregations of bait fish and then in turn the aggregations of uh, bluefin tuna and, you know, whatever physical environment we have, the the the, um, the, the bait fish seems to stay uh, in particular areas and the tuna are there along with, with other species to gorge on uh, massive shoals of, of bait fish. Huh. That's interesting. Um William, what is the equipment those those folks need to have on the boat in order to apply, or maybe in order to be successful when they apply? Well, you're looking at, at um, um, uh, rods uh, over eighty. I think it's an eighty-pound class rod up to maybe one fifty, and then reels the same. You're looking at quite a significant investment, heavy-duty uh, equipment that's designed to handle a tuna as quickly as possible I, I don't have the exact spec off the top of my head here but it is um you know you'd be looking at thousands of euro of investment maybe maybe six eight thousand euro investment in order to ensure that you have the equipment and that would include the the line and the hooks for instance that are they're all specified we we are very very particular in terms of the uh, equipment that needs to be used and the rod needs to be suitably rated not suitably rated for the angler to enjoy a lengthy play no <laughs> it's not that's not about the, that's not what we're about here it's about the fish and um 
ensuring that the fish is is brought alongside if the angler can have some fun uh, but get the, the bottom line is to get the fish alongside as quickly as possible and uh, the skippers are trained in in that they get training every year and in in terms of um, managing the fish and tagging the fish and recording the information so we're 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 uh, we're the, we're the, the program is designed to ensure that the fish is um, well handled and that fish welfare is is uh, uppermost in our mind. It's not taken out of the water. I don't know how would you take out of the water fish this big, but anyway. Well, um, some some skippers have a, have a might have a, a door in the in the um, in the gunnel that, that can allow for that, but we don't. Uh, it's just not. It's not. Um, it's not something that we're we're um, we allow or, 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 or would, would want to allow. It's just uh, the, the tagging can be done in the water. Um, there are methodologies that we, we, you know, the skippers are, skippers are very adept at this now. And, you know, they, the skippers, in fact, you know, a skipper like um, Adrian Malloy was able to, and he's a pioneer in this area, was able to show us methodologies in terms of handling fish and was extremely generous. He's a skipper based in Killybegs, extremely generous in terms of providing uh, information to uh, fellow skippers and ourselves as regards handling. So, you know, we've we've all come uh, a long journey together and, you know, the partnership between the skippers and the ourselves, the, the research biologists, has been very, very uh, fruitful and productive. Walk us through the, the typical trip uh, as from the from the angler perspective, just just by the way, I probably wouldn't take more than two anglers, like me and my my buddy, just to have yeah. a chance, bigger chance. Well, so so walk me through the process, like you know, uh, I'm assuming that all the gear is already on the boat because that's a, that's as part of a trip because nobody probably would buy the all the gear themselves and unless because usually let's let's face it it's usually probably a couple of trips and one and done maybe even like a bucket list kind of thing unless someone wants to become like a bluefin angler um because like you mentioned it's like 80 but probably up to 120 pound class rod and reel and you need a fighting chair and you need a harness and you need to strap everything else so that's a lot of thing to figure out and it takes time so i presume that that this is all in the package that Skipper offers. That right? Indeed, he would have. Yeah, the rods certainly, as you say, very they're uh, heavy duty, designed to to manage a fish of the size. Given you know, you, we, we talked about it earlier. The fish they can grow, they can be up to thirty years of age, and they can grow to huge sizes. But what we're seeing in, in Ireland here, for the most part, is fish. Maybe the mean mean length of those fish is. Uh, about 2.2 meters or 2.1 meters. So, you know, it's a big fish. It's, it's, it's the size of, and very, very muscular. Uh, you know, I think if somebody who, who mightn't be familiar with them, uh, think about a mackerel, uh, which might be, um, maybe a, a, a kilo and then think of something that is, uh, and a, 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 a one kilo mackerel is a big mackerel, but they're very, very lively on the line, particularly on light gear. If you multiply that maybe by 400, that's what you're getting into. Um, and, and you know, that's probably a, a, a modest fish, fish of 600, well, estimate, estimated 600 uh, pounds have been caught um, in recent times, but and, and possibly more. 
But um, you're asking about the gear. Yes, the, the these all these boats are um, checked, and the gear is checked by our guys uh, in advance of the season. Uh, not not many would have a fighting chair. Some do, but what they do have to have is a um, a swiveling rod holder in the in the gunnels, so the the rod is in in the swiveling rod holder, and the fish will be played out of that or played out of the fighting chair and harnesses are required certainly as well so and the rods are bent both rods as i say so they're they're designed to fit into the uh, swiveling uh, rod holder so the skipper would have had to to um, purchase the swiveling uh, rod holder and it bent both rods and all the rest of it in order to uh, to work on the program and everything is checked out so the day the typical day I've not, not done a day in Ireland, I have to say. Some of my colleagues would be better able to speak to that. But generally speaking, I, I, my understanding is that it could be an early start in the morning and uh, what you're, you're heading out then, you're looking for, um, the skipper has to log on, then he's got his, <clears throat> his tablet for recording information, uh, which we would provide to him. But um, you, you would head out then, you're looking for... Um, you're looking for signs on the water, which um, can be, say, birds. Bird activity uh, is maybe key in that. Now, I'm sure there's lots of other indicators that maybe the skippers are aware of. You know, obviously, that's kind of their own information. They will have areas they probably go to, but it's not a huge a distance out to the what would be the tuna waters, say, off the Donegal coast or to a certain extent off the south coast. And it's a day of uh, trolling, then uh, looking for fish. You're looking for other um, feeding animals as well, and um, they may there may be a what they call a tuna bust, fish moving on the surface, um, and they're spectacular to see. And um, if you're in that vicinity, then you're in with a good shout, and you're fishing what's called maybe a, a daisy chain arrangement. So you've got uh, tractors on the surface and, uh, you know, you've got uh, one hook in there, which is the, you know, obviously you're looking for the, the tuna to uh, oblige them by, by attaching onto that. And uh, then you're in business. Then once you're, you're, you're playing the fish and then the skipper uses his skills and you use your skills to um, outwit, outwit the uh, tuna and bring it alongside. And then the, uh, measurement is done in the water with a um, particular type of measuring tape and the fish is um, tagged with a tagging pole and all the tags are individually numbered and the skipper is recording this information all the time. Um, the fish is retained by a, a lip grip, which many anglers would be familiar with. It's a, it's a large one, obviously. Yeah, I was um, going to say that. That's, that's yeah. got to be like a pretty sizable lip grip it for, is. for it a 600 pound fish. And that's the idea then to hold the fish then uh, in the water. And then uh, the fish is, um, once all the necessary is done, the fish is, is uh, unhooked and uh, is, uh, what's the word I might use? Recovered, if you will. It's refreshed in the water. Uh, just to make sure it's in, in, in excellent condition going back. So the skipper drives at, a, you know, maybe a couple of knots uh, and the fish's head is, is submerged under the water to ensure that we have uh, water over the gills because tuna need to move in order to breathe. They're not like other species that can be stationary in water. 
and uh, they have to move. If they don't move, they will die. They're like sharks and tuna are similar in that regard. Oh, I thought that all the fish that has a, like a skeletal uh, gill covers don't have to move, but they do have a, like a like it's bony gill covers, right? So, but they still can't can't uh, move water through the gills, even well, though they well, have they have to move themselves. That's the, that's um, oh. one of the the key differences in 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 in, in tuna and, and sharks from maybe other species. Whereas you see, if you if you're passing over a bridge, I'm sure you like me, you look over and see a trout just sitting there in the water. Tuna do that for for um, any length of time they'll die, so they need to be moving. And uh, so the skipper then drives for, you know, however long it takes—two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes—as long as it takes to make sure the fish is is healthy. And then the fish is released, and off it swims. And you'll see that the tail will be flapping and and all the rest of it. So that's uh, a recovered fish, and and um, it's it's uh, just ensuring that the fish is in in. Uh, very good um status when it's released huh. that's a that's a that's a thing that i didn't know i thought that i i understand sharks because they don't have a gill cover so they need to move but i thought that tuna has a gill covers but it's still huh very interesting very interesting i learned something and i'm sure that many listeners learned that too okay cool um What's the what's so so the bait is the artificial bait this this kind of uh, like an imitation of a um, octopus or something with a skirt and a and a yeah. single hook inside. Yeah, it'll be like a squid or a squid bait, maybe um, crazy colors, pinks, whatever. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to know what what way fish might visualize uh, these crazy colors in you know when they're looking underneath uh, from their perspective. They can be different different color uh perceptions than 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 we would have um i think possibly it's to, to do with the action of the um the, the the squids these you know they're like clotheslines of squids at you know at different different uh distances from the boat and uh that that works quite well um there is um bait bait can, it can be fished as well in 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 some areas but uh for the most part, the trolling is is what um, um, anglers and skippers uh, work with because you're covering more ground and uh, you're you're searching for fish. Yeah. Um, so the technique is pretty much the same as for albacore that you have these these attractors on the two rods. I would imagine, like to the size of the boat, you have a yeah. two rods that are just uh, dragging the attractor. Things yeah. and in the middle you have your 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 main rod your your, your, your business rod. end yeah so okay. you're, you're, yeah two 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 like uh, outriggers such um, mm -hmm. they're 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 creating a um, I suppose something that might stimulate the fish into following or or certainly hitting your your rod yes yeah getting, getting interest are you using uh, barbless hooks or just like a regular circle hooks? We're, we're using J hooks again. That's prescribed um, J hooks because oh. and, and uh, we don't allow stainless steel hooks to be used, for instance, because just in case a fish was lost or or it was you know the hook was difficult to remove, we want to ensure that it can it can it can um, rust away. It won't take a short amount of time for it to rust away. So it's uh, J hooks is 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 what we. we uh, what skippers must use okay 
Why not circle hooks? Are they not, you know, I always thought that the circle hooks are much safer for the fish because it always catches them in the corner of the mouth and so well, on. I think it may be to do with um, the, uh, the the trade-off between um, circle hooks for bait oftentimes, I think is, is the kind of the gig. Um, whereas with um, with trolling, the, the J-hook is, is, is the job. It, oh, works. Okay, it okay. works well. Again, that's based on advice from um, our our skippers as well. So they have that experience. I mean, as it stands, um, there has been uh, twelve, sorry, uh, fifteen over fifteen hundred tuna tagged in this program since. Wow, fifteen hundred since it started in two thousand and nineteen. Wow, that's a lot of fish. Yeah. And you see that program will continue in the, in, is it, do you, do you have like a stop date or is it like you make a decision every year after year, whether to renew it for a next season or like, well, how does that work? Well, I suppose when we started in 2019, uh, there was some uncertainty, um, which was, was, you know, challenging for everybody, uh, you know, skippers having to invest, etc. But what we have seen is, with the success of the program, we've, for instance, we've no um, mortalities recorded to date. But with the success of the program and the interest in it, and the interest in you know by anglers and with, with good quality data being being uh, generated year on year, we, you know we, we're optimistic it'll, it'll continue. One never knows if the situation in the commercial fishery was to change. It's possible that things will change, but there's no. Um, no evidence for any any change of late. In fact, you know, th- this is a, a methodology, obviously, to collect data, which is key to this. Uh, without the fishery, we'd have no detailed data. So, you know, we're, we're seeing, for instance, in terms of size, uh, fish are, you know, not changing much year on year, which is, you know, you'd expect maybe with given the variability in fish sizes that uh, it would change. Um, but it seems, you know, it's quite consistent around, say, 2.1, 2.2 meters, mean, mean size. So, and we're, we're we're not seeing any great amount of maybe juvenile fish in the, in the population either. So that's, you know, it's all information. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, what, what function Ireland has in terms of its feeding waters, it's, uh, probably a, a post spawning, um, feeding migration fish, maybe, uh, come out of the med perhaps um, where they spawn or maybe further further south <clears throat> and there's sat- some satellite tagging work ongoing as well and then head up to it seems that they head up maybe head up to uh, Danish Norwegian waters and, and then you know come back but it, it, the tagging data will show us in due course uh, sorry the, the satellite tagging data will show us in due course where they you know what tracks they they, they, uh, they take and uh, that'll help in the management as well so there's a number of, you know, we've got the conventional tagging, which the tuna chart is involved with, and then the satellite tagging, which will give us more detailed information. So we're collecting information on the the fishery through the tuna chart program in terms of uh, day-to-day information about the aggregations and the seasonality of these aggregations. You know, we've got fish presenting in the summer in certain areas. And then, for instance, in the south, it seems to be that they're more prevalent there in the in the autumn period. So uh, why is that? That's uh, you know that's something that would be nice to understand. So we've looked at some of these things. What are the factors maybe influencing that? Is it 
do with with um, bait species or the particular local conditions in terms of the topography or the depth or whatever it might be or the water temperatures you know we're, we're, we're all the all the time trying to learn and understand about these fish so we can we can um, you know do our best to to contribute to to data to try and help manage them better yeah. were there any recaptures no no not so far not uh, today just, no. just give it a time just give it a, i'm sure well i suppose you, you could argue that uh, that's a, a positive thing that there's so many fish that yeah you know no recaptures i mean it, it it's it's uh, you know we'd be very like like your friend who's who uh who uh, caught the the uh, who heard that his bass had been recaptured by somebody else you know we we'd be really um interested to to know about a recapture as well you know be quite exciting to know when and where and um you know for instance how big the fish had grown in the time because we'd have an exact measurement and we'd like to know you know what sort of of, of condition it was in and um and i suppose any of these recaptures and any of these programs you know we've mentioned uh we're, we're talking for a while now about juna but any of the elasmobranch species sharks rays and skates uh, any recapture i suppose is is a sign of you know a successful uh, catch and release situation yeah it's it's you know it's very gratifying um and uh, as well as providing information so yeah, it's, for it's, sure. it's really interesting for sure uh, William, uh, will be amiss if we haven't mentioned uh, the Elasma Branch Tagging Program, Marine Sport Fish Tagging Program, I think it's called, and it's running for like fifty years. So if you can just give us like a brief overview of that program, how it started, what what was the idea, and what I'm most interested in is like how the data is being used. Is that data uh, being used for any specific research, or is it like publicly available and any researcher can can tap into that data and do their own thing okay well i feel very privileged <clears throat> that um before my time um my predecessors uh if you you know we think back to um the 1970s um i work with uh, inland fisheries ireland and maybe it seems odd that we are working on marine species but we have uh obviously the the, the brief everybody will probably be familiar with we're, we're, we're responsible for the protection management and conservation of the inland fishery resource and we have a staff of about three 300 people but also part of our role is around and we have responsibility for the sea angling resource so that's part of our brief as well mightn't be kind of obvious from the name so in that then we have a, a marine sports fish uh, research unit so um before my time um my colleagues um i suppose we're, we're in a scenario where we knew little or they knew little about um our marine species and uh, particularly those elasmobranchs bass would have been a big focus but there was at the time there was uh, a, 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 a maybe a lack of knowledge about um skates rays sharks um, you know you, you can take that from dogfish right up to to taupe and then on to more of the the larger um sharks like blue shark in particular which is a very popular angling species so little was known so they, they designed a program to start tagging 
these fish. And maybe in some instances, there was kind of uh, limited availability of tags as well. So they were very much pioneers. And they wanted to understand more um, and also to understand maybe the impact of anglers fishing for these fish. So I suppose as a, a means to encourage catch and release, they they worked with a, a large number of, I suppose started small, but worked with over the years, a large number of skippers to uh, deliver the tagging program. And now we have a program that is working through skippers and also through uh, anglers uh, generally um, and we've you know we've, we've had um, many 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 people involved over the years from all corners of Ireland and some of them are specializing in say taupe and some of them are more they would catch ray and and um, but there's quite an array of, of, of species uh, that are that are captured by by anglers and um, so it works on, on a number of levels, as I say, promoting catch and release, collecting really good quality information. And we have um, published um, the information. There's uh, about 48,000 fish have been tagged over uh, the 70-year, uh, sorry, the 50-year uh, run of this program. And about there's been about 2,200 recaptures. Depending on the, you know, depending on the species, obviously the uh, information is published in in uh, scientific papers and also some on our website, and uh, we will be putting some of it up uh, for people to view in terms of the, all the general records very very soon, actually. But um, yeah, there's papers published on on um, angel shark, for instance, the also known as monkfish, and it's it's um, difficult situation it's certainly it's it, it's 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 in real decline and that's both here and and across its distribution generally uh, there would be serious concern about its status at IUCN level it's it's um it's certainly it's crit- bay the population of yeah, it right critically critically endangered well there would be populations in um clue bay as well and in in pockets in pockets elsewhere so there's a lot of work being focused on on the angel shark but we've published on um with colleagues in 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 um in in other institutions uh in for our information tagging information on poor beagle on on blue shark we're working now on on other species as well so we've a lot of records to go through and the information is is uh, we're getting the information out and that'll feed into uh ongoing activities like um the marine strategy framework directive which is like the water framework directive for the marine um and understanding uh the status of many of these species elasmobranchs in particular um and and others you know we're, we're we're able to contribute to those um we'd hope that the information we have will help us to uh, inform processes around marine protected areas, um, around any real, say, development of our coastal waters. So the, again, anglers coming to the fore, collecting the data and skippers indeed, collecting the data for us in terms of marking fish, uh, tagging fish, and then the, the, um, distributions then can be through recaptures can be understood then where fish actually go and some of the some of the journeys they've taken over the years are spectacular particularly around blue shark and uh, it's they, they they're they're 
very distant migrants and you know they've been picked up off the the west coast of of, of um the east coast of, of of the u.s um they they, they undertake massive migrations so yeah. um very, they very, have those long like, fins which are like yes. like gliders they just basically glide through the water this, they are this, this is a sign to behold seeing shark like absolutely this is this is all good news in in my view and and uh, look the um the parbigle shark is coming back as well we were it's like kind of like a similar situation where they were all almost none and we see more and more catches now uh again by anglers of the parbigles yes um, absolutely, and again, some of our older tagging data was was mobilised there uh, recently. We were able to show um, a poor beagle that that uh, travelled from this is back about forty years ago, travelled to um, the east coast of the United States. So, um, or sorry, picked up off the Canadian coast, in fact. So it had made the full the full journey, which is which was a first. Yeah, but the poor beagle, yeah, they, they, they're certainly um, anglers are tagging some first in some key areas and um we are also working with colleagues uh, nick payne dr nick payne in in uh, trinity college dublin and there's a, a poor beagle tagging uh, program ongoing there and the um, migrations that two fish that were tagged earlier this year have been undertaking that's through use of satellite tags are remarkable um very distant travelers and in, in, in very, very quick time, you know, up to maybe 70 kilometers a day traveling. So these, these tags are reporting on a, on a daily basis. If the fish comes to the surface, which a poor beagle seem to do and, um, remarkable information where, you know, it'll all help in our understanding of the range of these fish, which is, is, is so important. And in that it's, it's crossing a number of international borders. So there are, Pressures maybe different. Different um, countries have different different approaches to management, and uh, you know we want to understand where where fish might be vulnerable or threatened. And uh, you know, understand more, uh, you, you have a better chance of managing them for conservation purposes. Then, yeah, that poor beagle uh, tagging program you mentioned are they still the same yellow tags for us for other sharks, or is it just a different kind of program? Well, our, our own program is uh, the the forty eight thousand fish that have been tagged since the seventies would have used conventional tags, um, so called the, the pieces of plastic, numbered plastic. So they were yellow tags. Yes, they would have been uh, they would have been the standard tag for sharks in particular. So for larger elasmobranchs, uh, the yellow roto tag or jumbo tag, I should say, was what we were using. Very very um, visible. Hmm. But those tags aren't being manufactured anymore. Oh. Yeah. So we've moved now to using um, a, a dart tag, which is a, a plastic-tipped uh, tag, which is inserted into the fish. So it just needs to, to catch on to the the, uh, the the superstructure of the fish, if you like, and uh, it'll be retained then. So it's a it's a, a neater a neater job, so to speak. And uh, you know that's a, that's we're we're, we're um, we're, we're migrating to that program now, so we're moving away from the the uh, jumbo tag, the the yellow tag, uh, to the the dart tag. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear because those jumbo tags they sometimes was a little bit fiddly when you put it in this in this uh, special tool, and the the tip sometimes bent, and the, you yeah. know you had to do it second. Okay, um, listen, William, we're going to be wrapping this thing up. Um, 
overall, you know, like I would just want to come back uh, for a second to to Bluefin Tuna because this is like a main star of this program. Um, do you see uh, in the future, you know, how do you see the future of these fish and you know, this fishery playing out? Do you see that at some point we might be able to, you know, uh, open this bluefin tuna fishery for everybody, like sharks are, that you basically any any skipper can decide to go after tuna. Uh, do you see this happening? And if you do, you see any uh, trends that would be leading that way, or do you say like, no, 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 not so fast? It, it's only early days. I I don't uh, at the moment. Um, I suppose the the issue here is um, we have a program that's been ongoing for four years. Um, the, the scenario is is that we have it's working well and it's it's you know it's it's quite uh, self-contained. There's a limited number of skippers involved. Those that have shown any interest, I suppose. The the, the issues I suppose are are around. Um, conservation and protection in a fishery like that it's 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 uh, quite a challenge um i think to open it up would be would be would be rather uh, rather difficult now the, oh yeah but you know i'm thinking like 10 years from now five years from now you know yeah something like well i think the the, the the i suppose the challenge there is is um the uh, member states with the quota are probably unlikely to uh, provide Ireland with a quota, you know, in case of mortalities. So with more more exploitation, you might expect mortalities. Or as it's now, we have zero reported. So it's it's about protecting this the fish as much as anything else. And we're we're working in a very narrow bandwidth at the moment with regard to uh, what we can actually do. And we're working to that at the moment with with the the maximum number of skippers that we can have and that's you know that quota is filled or virtually filled every year um and it seems to be maintaining itself uh without any without any any problems so i think i think all all of the fisheries generally certainly the commercial is 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 uh, across europe will be closely controlled the the, the angler fishery or the recreational fishery is uh, certainly controlled tightly here in in states which don't have a quota and the, probably quota is key to this william listen thank you so much for uh providing us with all this information it was it was uh very educational uh we learned a lot i learned a lot uh are there any uh, final words of wisdom you want to leave us with well i just again your your opening uh, question was about anglers and citizen scientists. We 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 also have a program in IFI. It's called the IMREC program. It's the Irish Marine Recreational Angling Survey program. And uh, again, through that, we're trying to capture the numbers of fish caught by uh, anglers, sea anglers in Ireland. That's uh, open to everybody. We're, we have a survey ongoing. We have people around, you know, checking in different shore marks and and small boat anglers and we have a separate scheme for charter skippers who are trying to capture say the catch of certain species of fish and uh, in order to be able to again kind of deal with the sustainability aspect and the management aspect and we'd like to kind of uh, invite more anglers to come on board through our voluntary uh, angler diary scheme which is a scheme whereby you have a, an app so to speak uh, that you can populate with your own information and then it would come to us about the, the fish you're catching and where. That, that's 
you know, that's totally your information. We, we wouldn't be, it's all anonymized in terms of reporting. We just want to know the species and the sizes, et cetera, and the, the successes you're having. And then, and the failures as well. Indeed, if you have a day, you catch nothing, which can happen. That information then is, 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 uh, worked up to, to look at our catches of species. And that'll help us then, you know, at, at, uh, within IFI and then further afield. This is reporting for Europe to um understand what we're catching and to to um be able to, to manage stocks better because in some countries and maybe not so much here there is a kind of high angler exploitation of uh, some species we're not seeing any evidence of that here at all um it's it's uh, you know the catch by anglers is, is relatively small for most species and in in the context of commercial catches but um that that uh, diary, Angler Diary, is uh, the IMREC diary. It's on our website, I-M-R-E-C. And if anglers are, are kind of in the team of citizen science, we've tuned a chart, we've got the tagging program, we've got the bass tagging program, and IMREC as well. So I think anglers are very responsible and, um, you know, to, to uh, help sustain the sport. The more of that we have, the better. And, you know, you're, 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 you're a kind of a, suppose an angler is kind of like a steward if you like they can be they can demonstrate great stewardship by becoming even further engaged here and we, we you know i'd like anglers to maybe consider taking that on it's not a it's not very onerous it's a simple enough app the beauty of it is if if, if you do go well of any given evening you can write it down you know your own rigs and all the rest of it and what, what worked well for me so you have without keeping a paper diary you have a have a, an electronic record of your angling when and, you know, tied if you want to put it in. And that's a freebie, which, uh, you know, might, might help, um, improve your success down the line, but certainly would help us and Ireland incorporated in terms of reporting on our, um, fish stocks, marine fish stocks in Ireland. We're going to put a, I'm going to put a link to that app in a description of this show. So folks, you can go in there and, and click and download the app. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a very good uh, summary. William, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Okay, Tommy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave me five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show. 